This book looked a lot like mine and was called Korean Vegan Cookbook. The same font for the word Korean, a similar font for the word vegan, and both in the exact same color as my book, Gold. Was it possible that a robot had written this book? That was my first disturbing encounter with AI. And this is Are You Ready with Joanne Molinaro. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You Ready with Joanne Molinaro, where we talk about how to get ready to live a more purposeful and empowered life. So I know we've been on a pretty good clip of alternating story time and interview episodes, but this week, I'm going to go off the beaten path and bring to you another story time segment. Why? Well, I had what appears to be my very first disturbing encounter with AI, Although I've been reading about it, like you, in the news, hearing about it, like you, on a bunch of other podcasts I listen to, and even chatted about it while safely ensconced at dinner parties or cafes with actual human beings, the past week, I was forced to reckon with the very real consequences of our awakening to AI, or maybe AI's awakening to us. And let me just say, it hit far too close to home. A couple weeks ago, one of my close friends, Eric, sent me the following text, WTF, and in it was a link to an Amazon book, one that was called Korean Vegan Cookbook, and it looked a lot like mine. Believe it or not, I'd already seen this blatant knockoff of my book, and if you want to take a look at it, you can find a picture of it in the show notes below. I mean, it is a fairly blatant knockoff. In fact, since 2021, when my book came out, I have seen dozens of books called Korean Vegan Cookbook or some variation of that title, and they were all obvious attempts to capitalize on the popularity of my brand or worse yet, literally trick people into buying the wrong book. The first time it happened was in the fall of 2021, just a few days before my own book was scheduled to go live. We were still in the thick of the pandemic, and instead of walking over to my local bookstore every few days and geeking out over the fact that they were going to carry my book, I actually did do that. (laughs) I would hop onto Amazon and look up the Korean vegan cookbook, which was then available for pre-order. And I would indulge in that, you know, prickling thrill of the forthcoming publication date. But that day, instead of seeing my own book when I looked up the Korean vegan cookbook on Amazon, I saw Instant Pot Vegan Korean Cookbook, which in my humble opinion, looked like a term paper put together by a half-baked college freshman with an inkjet printer. You cannot imagine the trash can of feelings that roiled through me as I clicked on the icon and flipped through the sample Amazon provided. I was angry, flabbergasted, confused, and a little nauseous. I created the Korean Vegan all the way back in 2016 to solve a problem, the black hole that existed when you searched for Korean vegan recipes. Since then, I'd done my best to fill that hole by posting veganized versions of my favorite foods growing up on YouTube, Instagram, and my blog. But the book, my book, was going to be the culmination of nearly five years of research, recipe testing, photography, and storytelling. 
And all throughout that time, I'd searched high and low, turned every stone, even went to freaking Korea to look for other Korean vegan recipe creators and found not even a handful of them. It wasn't lost on me that my little hobby had experienced a ginormous growth in the year leading up to my book launch. My TikTok account had nearly 2 million followers. My Instagram had several hundred thousand. And my YouTube channel, which had been practically dormant since 2016, suddenly started getting millions and millions of views. My brand, The Korean Vegan, was splashed across the LA Times, featured on NBC News, and was going viral on all social media platforms. It seemed more than a coincidence then. That after five years of nothing, all of a sudden, another vegan Korean cookbook appeared just a few days before mine was set to launch. But of course, that wasn't the end of it. Every couple days, I'd go back and discover another Korean vegan cookbook that purported to contain lots of plant-based Korean recipes. Here's the thing, though. That first book, the Instant Pot one, it wasn't an exact replica of mine. It was, after all, an Instant Pot book, which actually looked very similar to my friend Nisha's book that happened to have the words Vegan Korean on it. Additionally, I'm no stranger to the fact that recipes are not copyrightable and therefore literally anyone can take my kimchi mac and cheese or my Korean vegan red sauce and claim they came up with it on their own. I also don't mind if people draw inspiration from me and create their own video, their own story, their own book, or some combination thereof based upon something they saw in my work. But they do need to put in the work instead of simply capitalizing off of mine. Thus, despite my outrage, I did not immediately email my publisher or legal colleagues. It was entirely possible unlikely but possible that this instant pot book contained within its flimsy covers a library of plant-based Korean recipes that readers could enjoy along with my own. So I downloaded a copy onto my Kindle and was a little slack-jawed at what I saw. The very first recipe I scrolled to was banana bread, which called for eggs and milk. The second was Korean ground beef, which called for, um, ground beef. I stopped reading after that. In sum, this Instant Pot Vegan Korean Cookbook, published suspiciously close to the publication date of the book I'd labored over for three years, contained recipes that were neither Korean nor vegan. I left a stinging but accurate review, and I contacted my publisher who told me there was nothing they could do about it. And they were probably right. The book wasn't similar enough to be too confusing, allegedly, and it didn't contain any of my actual writing or photography or basically any photographs. So I did the mature thing. I let it go. Every single time another Korean vegan cookbook popped up onto Amazon, I let it go. And then... I got Eric's text. There was something telling about the fact that Eric, also a New York Times bestselling cookbook author, texted me about this particular copycat, and henceforth we shall call it the copycat. Apparently, all of the other ones had flown under the radar, 
and it was easy to see why. This book looked a lot like mine and was called Korean Vegan Cookbook. The same font for the word Korean, a similar font for the word vegan, and both in the exact same color as my book, Gold. A black background, which if you've been a longtime follower or listener, you'll know I had to fight for that because very few books had black backgrounds before mine. A picture at the center and the author's name at the top right corner, also in the very same color, gold. My immediate reaction when I first saw the book pop up while ordering a few extra copies of my own was the same one I developed for all of the others, suppressed rage. Because what's the point of getting nauseatingly angry when you can't do anything about it? That just leads to depression, and I didn't want to be depressed. So I replied to Eric's friendly WTF with a short, it is maddening is what it is and then changed the subject. But it rankled at me. Despite habitually ignoring all the other copycats, this one, this one really rubbed me the wrong way. Why? Because it was so obviously meant to confuse consumers, to truly trick them into buying this cheaply produced knockoff instead of the one I'd put my heart into for three years. Therefore, instead of assiduously avoiding it, I clicked on the icon that looked so much like mine and was horrified to discover that this book didn't just bear my trademarked brand, but had literally copied the titles and the order of my chapters. I know, it sounds silly, but those chapters were kind of like my children. <laughs> like I didn't just come up with them like on the fly one night on the back of a napkin while guzzling a glass of wine, which is from what I understand how J.K. Rowling came up with the Harry Potter series, but I digress. I cared about my chapters. Their inclusion, titles, and order, they were a reflection of me. For instance, I started with the basics out of love for my husband, Anthony. He's not a good cook, guys, and he really doesn't know his way around the kitchen. So I wanted my book to introduce readers like him to the easy stuff, the tools that would carry them through some of the more challenging recipes later on. That way, they could start their journey through the book with confidence. Similarly, who in their right mind would have the audacity to write a Korean and vegan cookbook with an entire chapter devoted to bang, the Korean word for bread, other than me, of course. If you're Korean, then you know that a traditional Korean restaurant never serves bread. This chapter was thus a direct result of my personal love of carbs and my very deep frustration at the amount of dairy and eggs that go into literally every bread product and the new Korean bakeries popping up all over Seoul. I distinctly remember when I handed in all my recipes to my editor, I was like, mm, yeah, there's a lot of bread recipes, lol. Maybe just turn them into an entire chapter. <laughs> and that's what we did. All of this, the flagrant mimicry of my cover, the unapologetic use of my trademark, the copy-paste job on my chapters, it was all too much. Perhaps if the author of the copycats, some Rachel Issy, had done only one of these things, I would have dismissed it with all the others. But taken together? Maybe it wasn't enough to sustain a full-blown lawsuit, but it was enough to push me over the edge. I did a few things. 
I emailed my publisher and my agent, suggesting that they revisit the there's nothing we can do about it stance. I also left a message with my lawyer. I happen to know a lot of them. And finally, I posted it on Twitter. The feedback on Twitter was instant and overwhelming. Within hours, my post had tens of thousands of views. The comments were fiercely supportive, and some actually were surprisingly insightful. One of my followers confirmed after purchasing that, like so many of the other Korean vegan cookbooks that had been self-published onto Amazon, this one also contained many recipes calling for dairy and eggs, and even suggested chicken as a topping for a Caesar salad recipe. But of all the comments I found most provocative was the one that suggested that the copycat had been produced by AI. This soon grew to be the consensus in the comments below my tweet. Discerning readers noted the unusual grammar errors, the fact that so many of the recipes in the book were clearly generic non-vegan ones that merely instructed people to, quote, modify for vegans, and that Rachel Issy had zero digital footprint and basically didn't exist. Was it possible that a robot had written this book? That was the question that journalists started to ask me. I was contacted by a writer for the LA Times as well as one for Eater LA. Both were keen on pursuing the AI angle. One noted the particular vulnerability of cookbooks to AI scams since, as I mentioned earlier, recipes are not copyrightable. The other specialized in language analytics and thought the semantics in the copycat rendered it highly suspicious. A couple days after my tweet went viral, I saw articles written about the whole thing on my news feed. They, too, raised the AI question. The funny thing is, just a few days before I decided to do something about the copycat, I'd been in Chicago for a speaking engagement with my law firm. The topic? AI. There, I talked about all the virtues of AI, how it could be deployed for brand development, marketing data, and even creative or artistic inspiration. Yes, I knew that AI could also be used to exploit the work of others, that its growing utility threatened human thought and labor with their obsolescence. In fact, I talked about this very concept in an earlier podcast episode on the danger of shortcuts. But it never occurred to me, never in my wildest imagination, that chat GPT could cut so close to my bones. And man, it hurt I felt like someone had broken into my home, rifled through my underwear drawer, and walked out the front door with my favorite pair of La Perlas, because that's how personal my book was, and thus, that's how intimate this violation felt, even at the metallic hands of a robot. But worse than that was the fear, a very reasonable fear, that people would be genuinely confused by the copycat. Rachel Issy had paid to have her listing sponsored, which meant that it was the very first book people saw if they searched for the Korean vegan cookbook on Amazon. Here's the thing. Many people, like some of whom are my actual friends, they don't even know my name. They know me by the Korean vegan because like most of you, they didn't meet me on orientation day in law school, at the summer retreat at my law firm, or at the lifetime fitness I frequented when I lived in the burbs. No, they met me through TikTok, Instagram, or YouTube, where I am known as the Korean vegan. 
how easy would it be for someone who'd heard, oh yeah, there's this like really great book called The Korean Vegan Cookbook. You should pick up a copy. It's got a black background and gold font to fall for the copycat, especially if it's the first option that Amazon dangles in front of their face. And then what would happen? They would crack open the book, find a whole bunch of crap writing, crap stock photos, followed by crap recipes that weren't even vegan, and they would think, understandably, man, that Korean vegan is full of crap. I'm going to tell everyone I know not to buy that book or follow her account on Instagram. Speaking of Instagram, I posted there too. Call me a terrible content creator, an ineffectual leader, whatever, but to me, community is a two-way street, and I needed my community. Instagram is, in many ways, my first community, the one into which I've invested the most of myself. Back when I started The Korean Vegan, after realizing just how hard it is to actually make videos, I quickly transitioned away from YouTube to Instagram, where static photos, even those taken with an iPhone, were totally acceptable. It was on Instagram that I first started sharing my stories. It was on Instagram that I met the friend who introduced me to my lit agent. It was on Instagram that my future publisher became acquainted with my photos and my words and my recipes. And it was on Instagram that I allowed my community to pick the cover design that would not only grace my own book, but apparently would be copied onto others. I was heartbroken and a little shell-shocked by the whole ordeal. So yes, like I said, I sent out an SOS to all of you, my community. And boy, oh boy, did you arrive. Within an hour, I had hundreds of comments expressing outrage, disbelief, disgust, and support. How can we help you? Was repeated so often, I was nearly brought to tears. Every word of fury on my behalf was a balm. The avalanche of loyalty that threatened to overwhelm me was breathtaking in both its power and compassion. The following day, I heard from my publisher. Amazon agreed with my assessment and delisted the copycat. So where does that leave us? Because the truth is, not all authors will have 5 million followers and the largest publishing house in the country willing to throw it down hard for them. The overwhelming majority of them will not. And that's not to mention the graphic designers, the painters, the musicians, the poets, or even the scientists, health experts, journalists, the guy who knows how to get you the very best fish tanks. What will they do when AI comes for them? Because make no mistake, AI will thrive in a playground where productivity and fat margins are valued above creativity and equity. A quick buck is only possible in a world that incentivizes the quick and the buck. So I ask again, where does this leave us? One of the journalists I spoke with asked me, what do you think writers can do to guard against this sort of thing? Well, I thought about a discussion I'd had recently with fellow cookbook writers. They were nervous that ChatGPT would render them, well, useless. And to be honest, they should be nervous. I typed in, quote, write a chapter on Korean vegan main recipes into OpenAI, and I got 
a chapter of main Korean vegan recipes. I'll include a link to the photo below. It's absolutely extraordinary and terrifying. It's entirely possible that when Instant Pot Vegan Korean was self-published in 2021, ChatGPT wasn't smart enough to avoid using mm, ground beef in its recipes. It's also possible that at the time Rachel Issy was putting together its, I mean, excuse me, pardon me, her book, ChatGPT still couldn't help throwing in some chicken and eggs into a vegan cookbook. But now, ChatGPT is ready to burst from its own plateau of latent potential with albeit generic but totally vegan and even Korean recipes. So, during that chat with other authors, I posited that those who continue to churn out nothing but recipes would eventually fall by the wayside, digitally buried by a mountain of AI-produced content. I said as much to the journalist who posed the question. We've seen an analogous phenomenon already, with the proliferation of free recipes on food blogs. Why buy a cookbook when you can find the recipes on so-and-so's website? Without any copyright protection, recipes are a dime a dozen, a penny a dozen. No, actually, literally free a dozen. What value, then, do people find in a cookbook? The author. In all that we author, we must lean into the things that make us human. Storytelling, empathy, vulnerability, and community. In the same way cops flash a badge to prove their credentials, we must reveal our hearts to verify our humanity. The stakes? They're getting higher and higher because the world continues to sacrifice connection upon the altar of efficiency and the almighty dollar, and as such, we must be willing to risk more and more with an eye towards protecting what is precious, with an eye towards reminding us what is precious. I told my story, and because I did, it hurt when someone poached its cover. But because I told my story, because I shared my hurt, when the flare erupted and split open, a bonfire in the sky, you said, the beacons are lit and you showed up. Thanks everyone for joining me for another episode of the Are You Ready podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor, hit the subscribe below. If you haven't already, leave a comment or a rating. And more importantly, if there was anything I said in this podcast that resonated with you, that inspired you, it would mean so very much to me if you shared this episode on social media with your friends, your family, your colleagues, literally to anyone you might think would be interested. Until next week, I hope you have a wonderful and beautiful day.